0: We've been in the last third, we're in the last third of the book of John. We entitled it Before I Go, where it's the words of Jesus, the things that he was sharing with his closest friends and followers, his disciples, when Jesus knows that his time is short. He's not going to be in this world much longer to minister or to teach them before he dies for the sin of the world. And we've been in the passage right after they shared the Last Supper, and he's talked to the disciples, and now they're kind of on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed so intensely as like sweat drops of blood, and uh, Jesus was arrested later that night. And the disciples are walking with him, and they know that they live in troubling times. They didn't know that that was the fateful night that would be the last that they would see Jesus before he died. But Jesus knew, and he's sharing with them important truths that he wanted to say before he died. He's getting them ready to live for Jesus in a hostile world, to live by the values and beliefs that Jesus has been teaching them for three years, values and beliefs that are counterculture to the world around them. And Jesus knows that he's not going to live to see even another day. Now, we have a lot of funerals here at South Shores. In fact, there are two this week. We had one yesterday, and uh, then there is one today for Robert Stanfield, Chris Ciccarelli's father, today at 2 o'clock, right here. And then there is one next Saturday afternoon at 10.30, or Saturday morning, for Don Brown, and... Oh, this is a great place to pause and to reflect and to thank God for somebody's life and to symbolically give them back to God and to comfort one another. And, um, you know, there's many people who are part of our church family who are already in heaven and we're celebrating. So when you and I get there, you're going to know a lot of people. And, uh, you know, many other people just walk in and say, you know, I was here for a funeral and uh, I have a family member. We're not connected to a church. Can we have a service here? And there will be a service like that during this week as well. Well, some people, you notice, have a long, slow decline, and it's excruciating to watch and to love and to lose. And then no one is surprised. You've been given ample warning and time to say all the important things. But then other people uh, are in an accident or some kind of trauma, and their life is go- goes from full speed to, um, to over in a matter of seconds. And... Their loved ones will often express later, you know, if only I'd taken the time to to say the things that I needed to say, to express my love one more time. So is one way preferable over the other? I can't say. It's not like we often have a choice either. And so the important thing is to stay current, to say the things that you want to say, to express your thoughts and your hopes, your dreams, your love to your loved ones. So South Shores, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I don't plan to, but you know, to be sure that you've heard it and to stay current. And and, and I'm cheering for you. And uh, this is what Jesus is doing with his followers. And uh, so in John 15, it's talking about relationships. It first talks about uh, the relationship with God. And uh, that begins in verse one, which Sean McDowell was preaching last week, did a great job. I got to see it on our website, And uh, verse 1, I'm the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And Sean told us how many times the word abide is in this passage. Anybody remember? Eleven. Eleven times this word, so you know that it's going to be on the final exam. And then verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. This abide is really, really important to Jesus, and it's so basic. If you're going to grow as a Christian and to be fruitful in your spiritual walk with God, if you're going to make an eternal difference in people's lives, you're not going to do it disconnected from Jesus. I need to stay connected to Jesus, reading His Word, worshiping with His people, serving in the name of Christ. Branches stay connected to the vine. Abide. So, to ask yourself the question, am I abiding in Jesus? Have I stayed connected? Is there fruit in my life to show from my connection with Jesus? And if there's no spiritual fruit to show, go back and check the connection. God's Word tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of you have memorized this as well, I can tell. And so he talks about the important relationship of staying connected to God through Jesus. And then he talked in verse 12 about the significant relationships with each other, to stay connected to other believers, to the family of God. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus gave himself to live for us and to die for us. This week, somebody said to me, I don't think we've adequately celebrated the fact that we've just received the largest gift in in gifts and in pledges of the church has ever received, $9 million uh, toward our future improvements. And we should. We should celebrate that, that God has done a great thing among us. People from 9 years old to 99 given gifts. Some of them people who won't live long enough to see uh, the Im- and enjoy the improvements. Why did they give? To obey this command. To love one another. And to provide for believers and future believers, some of them not yet born, uh, to provide a place to gather to worship and to grow in God's Word and to have room for classrooms and uh, places to do exactly what God tells us to do. It's a tool that God can use. And you are to be commended. Thank you for participating in this venture together to say, we're following Jesus. He says, love one another. He goes on in verse 16 to say, You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you love one another. And this command, love one another, love one another, is so important and it can be so irritating. I mean, around the Last Supper table, Jesus had commanded them Verse in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So here they are on the walk away from the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he repeats himself. Jesus repeats himself, not once but twice, love one another, love one another. Well, how can you love Peter? I mean, come on, he's such a loudmouth. He's always talking, even when he isn't thinking. And, uh, you know, how can you love his brother Andrew? He's such a mouse. And you never hear anything about him. He's always just around the edge talking to insignificant people. How can you love James and John? Jesus called them the sons of thunder, always spouting off. They're obviously Jesus' favorites, but they're so self-serving. I mean, did you know that they had their mom ask Jesus to give them positions of prominence when he becomes king? And how can you love Matthew? He used to work for the IRS. (laughs) Can you love somebody if you don't trust them? How can you love Thomas? He's always so negative. Once he said, let's go with Jesus so we can die with him. I mean, his glass isn't half full or half empty. It's cracked and it's leaking. He can always find something wrong with everything. How can you love Judas? He's always saying, We can't afford it. It's not in the budget. And he keeps such a tight fist on the finances for the whole group. He even criticized Mary when she gave an expensive gift to Jesus. And Jesus had to even speak up publicly and correct Judas in front of the group. Honestly, I, I enjoyed that more than I should. I mean, you get my drift. I could do the whole group. But when I look around and Jesus said, love one another, and I realize that these are irregular people with shortcomings and rough edges, and they have gaps. And Jesus commanded us, love them. That's only going to happen by the power of God. And besides that, we're supposed to be the salt and light to this world. And Jesus said we have to work together in less than ideal situations with less than perfect people. We need help. We need Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. Stay connected to Jesus and love one another. And you and I are challenged. Just obey Jesus. Even when it's hard. Even the, when it's difficult. You, then you'll be fruitful. Then you will be filled with joy. So Jesus first talked about the relationship with God, then with other believers, and then the part we're really getting to today, starting verse 18, he talks about the challenging relationships with the world around us. Look what he says in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Why did the world hate Jesus? He was God came in human flesh. He's gracious. He's good. He's super intelligent. He spoke the truth, and he's kind. Why did the world hate him? Well, he was born to be worshiped. In fact, we just finished Christmas celebration. 2,000 years later, we are singing his praises, but the world can't even say, Merry Christmas. And they don't play carols that have anything to do with his story anymore either. I mean, they say, Happy Holidays, kind of a frothy alternative, but try that next July 4th to friends. Say, hey, happy, happy holidays. And they'll look at you like, aren't you waiting till the end of the year? I mean, they don't want to be reminded, the world doesn't want to be reminded that God came to earth in Jesus to be their savior, that he was born to reconcile sinners to God. And that's part of the rub. People know they don't measure up and that we come up short, that we sin, that we have fallen short, but we don't like to admit it. But the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's in Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3:210. none is righteous. No, not one. First John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. The world hates that message. We like to think we are capable of, We are the captain of our own destiny. We are self-sufficient. We are in charge. And the world hates the idea they can't be good without God. So the world, by and large, then and now, rejected Jesus. Jesus warned his friends that they, like him, would be rejected. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you were of the world the world would hate would if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you're not of the world but I chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they would persecute you if they kept my word they would also keep yours but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they did not know who sent me Now, this is a good warning for the disciples, even if it doesn't sound like good news, even that sometimes you're going to suffer, even if you've done what was right and good because of Jesus. See, not very many weeks after this, after Jesus' death and resurrection, after He ascended to heaven, Peter and John are walking into the temple. They walk past a man who's lame, who's been sitting there that everybody knows. He's well-known. Jesus must have walked past him numerous times and never healed him. And Peter and John look at him, and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the man leaped to his feet, praising God, walked with him on into the temple. That got Peter and John questioned, then arrested, then scolded, then threatened, then beaten, then put in prison, then back in front of the council. When they finally got tossed out, at the end of it, in Acts 5.41, it says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Jesus had warned them. You're going to suffer because of my name, because of your association with me, because I'm alive in you. Why, why shouldn't? I mean, why, why are we surprised? We shouldn't be surprised when we suffer. Jesus warned us ahead of time. But it is surprising Why would people hate Jesus? Why would they hate Christians? Christians are people who love Jesus, follow his teachings, try to copy him. In fact, Christian means little Christ. Why would anybody hate them? It's not fair, it's not right. But Christians at their finest help the poor. They feed the hungry. They alleviate suffering. They visit the lonely. They heal. They educate. They care. They lift up. They minister to the downtrodden. They care for the needy. And when we do it right, people will know we are Christians because of one overriding characteristic our love. Our love. So, why would the, anybody hate us? What is it about belonging to Jesus that makes the world so upset with us? Well, we're different. We're different. In my toolbox at home, I have American tools and metric tools. They look alike, but they're different, and they don't mix. And you and I are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And we recognize our need for God's help, and we're attempting to pursue a life of righteousness. And we are devoted to Jesus. We're in love with Jesus, and we believe He's the Savior of the world, which means the world needs a Savior, and which means people need one. I mean, we believe sin is a real problem. And that the real good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God can forgive sin and give you a place in heaven. Paul ran into the same thing. Here had been a guy who had started as one who had vigorously hated and tortured Christians. And God grabbed a hold of his life and turned him around and caused him to become one who started churches. And then he ended up getting all kinds of um, persecution himself. He ended up being beaten how many times? And shipwrecked uh, several times? Bitten by a snake? Put in prison? Abused? Talked about behind his back? He suffered greatly for his love for Jesus. And in... 2 Corinthians 2, as somebody running for office said. But thanks be to God who is in Christ, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life." What Paul is saying is when we do it right, when we live out our Christianity the way we should, we smell like Jesus. There's an aroma of Christ that's on us that people who are not in Christ notice. Even when we aren't consciously trying to be Christian, When I was in college, I went home for the summer to make as much money as I could to pay for school, and so I was working a night job as stocking shelves in a grocery store or supermarket, and I also was working a day job as a gardener. Now, I know it's not very bright to try to work all the way around the clock, but I was trying it, and one morning, I had just gotten home from work, and so I went to bed. Well, in the house were also two, you know, children, eight and ten years old. And so mom often would shoo them out to play outside, and they're playing in the backyard, and they come up with this idea. And they made their way down to the uh, supermarket, and they stole a pack of cigarettes, and they got some matches, and they went out by the creek where nobody could see them, and they each smoked two of them, put the rest of the pack in their pocket, brushed everything off, had a breath mint, and went home. Well, nobody smoked at our house. And you know, if you're a non-smoker and somebody around you comes around who smokes, even if you don't say anything, you'd notice. And my mom was onto them like a fox onto a rabbit. You know, and so she uh, got a confession out of them and marched them back down to the supermarket and made them confess to the manager and then pay for their cigarettes and then came home and then finished their punishment in the backyard. She sat on a chair, handed them the pack and said, smoke the rest of it. Now, I wake up after three hours of sleep, and the house is so quiet, I wonder what's going on. And I think maybe the rapture has started, because nobody's there except me, but that didn't seem right, because I know I love Jesus. And so I walk through the house, and I look out into the backyard, and here's my mom sitting there laughing, talking, and, and my brother and sister are each smoking. <laughs> I really haven't had enough sleep. I better go back to bed. <laughs> we are the aroma of Christ, the Bible says. And... When Jesus is in you, you might not be nearly as aware as the world around you how different you smell and sound and think and act. We think differently. We don't think, what's in it for me? What about me? What do I want? We think, what does Jesus want? How do I please the Lord? You talk differently to people because you have hope, and you have forgiveness, and you have purpose, and you hope that the world doesn't share for now and forever. You know, your hope just goes on, and theirs doesn't, and you just smell different, and you might not be able to tell, but it's all over you. To those who are saved, we have a good aroma because we encourage them, we remind them of God's faithfulness. And to those who are not saved, we have an aroma of death, the Bible says, a reminder that they are under condemnation and a sentence of death. Peter said it this way, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which by we must be saved. And no other name works. Jesus is the only one, and there's the, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and, and basically what you're saying when you say that is that there's no other way in the world to get right with God except from Je- with Jesus, and Jesus says that, and that doesn't usually go down real well. It's out of style. It's not PC. So you think, well, maybe I'll just stay quiet. I'll just try to live a good life, and that way I won't have any opposition. But that's not a new temptation either, and it doesn't really work. John had explained in chapter 12, many of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees. They did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. I don't know you. If you confess me, if you claim me before men, even when they're persecuting you, I will claim you before the Father. James sharpened this focus even more in James chapter 4. He said, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Those who love Jesus have to make the hard choice and stand up for Him. And here's the encouragement Jesus gave His disciples, which by now on their walk from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm sure it's dark, and I'm sure they're almost there. And He says, "'When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with Me from the beginning.'" He says, you've got me, God, come in human flesh, and you have seen the Father because you have seen me, and he's in heaven, and God is giving us a helper, the Holy Spirit of truth, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the next few weeks because it's coming up in chapter 16, so read ahead. And they have their own experience of walking with Jesus for three years and the truth that he's given them. They had heard Jesus when he preached the Sermon on the Mount say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul explained it this way at the end of his life. Hereafter, all the uh, the uh, the things that he went through he said in 2 Corinthians 4:17 for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that you can see are transient the things that are unseen are eternal we shouldn't be surprised when we face the world's hostilities we should get ready because we have God's word as our authority and we have God's Spirit inside of us to guide us. And we have the example of Jesus who is full of grace and truth. And we have the promise of heaven. And best of all, we have Jesus. So be ready. We live in a world where there is an awful lot of persecution against Christians going on. People who have lost their homes, lost their families, lost their jobs, lost their lives for the sake of Christ. You know, I don't want to have an earthquake, but I have earthquake insurance. And I don't want to have a fire, but I have fire insurance. I don't want to die yet, but I have life insurance. And I, I don't want to get sick, but I have medical coverage. I don't want to have a crash, but I have auto coverage. I don't really want us to have to move to San Juan to get our project done, but we do. And so, you, you know, you live as people who are truly alive because of Jesus, people who are in the world but not of the world, and you get ready and you obey Him and follow Him and live in His joy. Shall we pray? Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for your word that warns us in advance that tough days could be ahead. So that when they arrive, which for the disciples happened just days afterwards, for people today, for many, many Christians around the world, is happening and is real. For us, we think, oh, we live in America. We need to read this and be ready ourselves. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for God in heaven. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for our experience of being around other people of like faith. Give us courage. Give us strength for the days ahead. Give us resolve to galvanize our belief in you and to be resolved that we will stand for you through everything. And someday we will see you face to face. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Amen.